The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Hey, you guys, wasn't worship great today? So good to be with you here uh, on Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, exciting things going on here at Crosspoint. We've told you a bit about those. Next weekend, breaking news. We are going to expand our Sunday 10 a.m. in-person gatherings to be both inside and outside starting next week. And we've looked at a lot of the stuff, done a lot of study, consulted with our church leaders and all that kind of thing. We feel like it's just time to do this. Now, if we're inside, the whole time we're inside, we're going to have masks on and we're going to ask you to do that. We're going to demand that you do that. Please don't make us be the mask police. Be be excited about this. Be grown-ups about this. Uh, super excited we get to be inside here. But we really, wanna, we really, really want to mitigate any of the of the health challenges and risks as we come inside. So we're going to keep masks on the whole time inside. And then for those of you who don't want to wear masks or you feel a little nervous about coming inside, we're still going to have the outside thing going. The difference outside is that it won't be people up on the stage. It'll be people up on a big screen TV with good sound and all that out there. And you can still be here interacting with us, being here with your friends and family and stuff, but we'll still have that outside option available for you as well. Stay tuned. That's the plan for right now. Uh, Hope you guys are having a great Valentine's Day weekend. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right into the riffs and rants that Jesus makes about his kingdom. So Jesus, today, we confess with our mouths. God, we confess it with our hearts. We confess it with our whole being that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus, you are the king. And there's a lot of implications of that. So God, as I speak on this and talk about this today, God, govern what I say and what I don't say. Remind me, challenge me, speak through me, to me. And then by your spirit, speak this powerfully, not just into our minds and into our ears, but at the deepest part of our soul. Amen. Jesus is king. We've been looking in the last few weeks here in our Jesus is King series at the things that Jesus did, his birth, his baptism, his temptation, how he did all these miracles. Last week, this big, massive transfiguration on top of the mountain. All that stuff is online. I'd encourage you to go back if you've missed any bit of this, to go back and take a look at some of those. It'd be good for your heart and soul. But today we move from the things that Jesus did about his kingdom to demonstrate his kingdom, the things he said, things he told us about what this kingdom would be like. See, here's the deal. If he's the king, the implication of that is, of course, there is a kingdom. And the king's kingdom, what's this all about? If you haven't downloaded the note sheet yet, put a pause right now and go to your computer, print the note sheet up, or just get something to write something down. And there's a lot of great stuff that Jesus said about his kingdom. You're going to want to have that. You want to have your own Bible out. to to write things down on and make little notes there. So when you back and read this in weeks and days and years to come to remind yourself all about that, the King's kingdom, Jesus did not come here to start a new religion. There was already enough world religions everywhere. He came here to establish a whole brand new 
all-encompassing transcendent reality called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And you'll see in your note sheet there, the little scriptures that, that give us the definition of it. It's called the whole Bible. Because the whole Bible, and there's too many references to put there. We'd have filled that whole sheet with references about God's kingdom. But the kingdom is this. You want to define it this way. It's God's reign through God's people over God's place. God's reign through God's people over God's place. And when the king comes here, he he comes differently than how every other king would have come in to take over a place. Because they would have come with their military, with their political authorities, and come down here and just take over, establish their throne, their dominion, their power. And, and Jesus comes here as a, as a king on the task of redemption. Now, the redemption word is a big spiritual word. All it really means is to buy us back, to get us back, that at one point we were his. We were part of his kingdom, but because of our sin and rebellion, we've surrendered that to the realm of evil and the enemy, and he's come to get us back. That's what redemption means. And he doesn't say to us, get your act together, uh, start being bad and start, stop being bad and start being good. Here's his method, the king's battle plan to win us back. He trades his throne for a cross. He's the only king in the history of the world that got off of his throne and took the place of the rebels and took their place, took their punishment took on their penalty and absorbed that into himself. It's called the great exchange. Jesus takes your place as a rebel so you can stand in his place as a son. And he tells us that uh, he's here to, to get us back. And he says, not because anything you've done, because you got your act together, because I have my act together, because I lived the perfect life that you should have lived. And the great exchange happens. He says, I'll forgive all your sin. And I'll come in. He says, I'm going to change the world but I'm not going to do this by just changing your behavior, by putting systems in place, getting you all guys all to, to act better. He's, I'm going to change you, not by outward behavior modification, but by putting my spirit in you, in your body, soul, mind. It'll change you from the inside out. And that's going to change the whole world. It's a big, massive, transcendent reality. It's a big global vision. Albert Schweitzer said it this way. There cannot be a kingdom of God in the world Without the kingdom of God in our hearts, everything else doesn't work until God changes us one person at a time after one person at a time over a long period of time. Millions of people get changed because of what God does in the lives and hearts of his, the citizens of his kingdom. So the citizens, if there's a kingdom, there's a king. There's also citizens of the kingdom who are and who aren't the citizens. Well, Jesus lays it out this way. Uh, this, the verse will be up here on the screen. Mark 1, 15. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. In your own Bible, highlight, underline, put an arrow to that. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Here's what's implied, what's, what saturates that idea of repent. It's the idea of turn around. It's the idea of you are on the wrong side. You don't get the benefits of the kingdom until you surrender from being a rebel against the king and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You took my place. So I'm going to join your side. He says, you got to repent. You have to surrender. We live in a world today in post-Christian, hyper-individualized spirituality that says we want all the benefits of the kingdom 
but we don't want a king. And Jesus said, well, I'm going to do it that way. The only way you get my kingdom is to repent, to renounce citizenship in the kingdoms of this world in terms of your sin and your rebellion of you being king and make me king of your life. Believe the gospel. Believe the good news. We don't just need some help. We don't just need a consultant or a coach. We need a king. We need to become new people. Jesus goes on to say it's not just a matter of renouncing citizenship and swearing allegiance to a new king who'll change you. He also tells uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says the only way a person can become part of God's kingdom is to be born again. Not straighten up, not clean up, but born again to get a whole brand new identity. It's the idea that Jesus, I didn't come here to just change your life. I come here to take your life and give you mine, give you a whole brand new life. Uh, and it's interesting when he tells this to, we, we often hear that word, you got to be born again. We think that's the messed up people, man. Their lives are dead. They're in their sin. They're, uh, they're drug addicts. They're porn addicts. They're homeless. They're a mess. They're impoverished. Oh, they're a mess. You know, who Jesus says needs to be born again. Christians, priests, pastors, people who you think they got their act together. Jesus tells Nicodemus, one of the leading religious spiritual leaders of Israel, you've got to be born again. You're going to need a whole brand new thing. I've come here. It's a revolutionary kingdom that Jesus is talking about here. He says, we got to come uh, to repent and surrender. We have to be born again. He says, we have to come in childlike humility. There's several verses there in your note sheet, talk, note sheet that talk about this. Luke chapter 18, verses 16 and 17 says this way. He says there, Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. I think that means being like a little, like a little child, lots of implications there. So I'm not grown up. See with grownups, like I've got some success. I've got a resume. I've got some achievement. I got some good grades. I've done some good deeds. A child says, I got nothing for you, dad. I got nothing. I just want to reach up to you and go and take me, pick me up. We come with empty hands. Cause that's how you have to take the kingdom of God. And that goes against, that goes against all the pride we have of, of thinking that somehow we can do it ourselves. We just can't. Jesus is also going to say, not just you have to become like a child. He also cautions us. He says in Matthew 19, Luke 18 and Mark 10, he said, it's very difficult. In fact, he even says it's impossible for rich people to get into the kingdom. Now understand something here. Jesus is not saying that it's a sin to be rich or that, that, uh, that wealthy people will not get into his kingdom. He's what he's saying is it's going to take a bigger miracle than you think for rich people who have all of their stuff together to get into God's kingdom. Again, this is not about wealth. Here's the deal. Poor people, poor people who've made, poor people who've made a mess of our lives, who have rejected God, who have made a mess of our finances, made a mess of our, of our uh, families, who are, who are at, at, at bottom, have no problem going, God, I need your help. Rich people don't tend to need that. 
because they've done it. They've done it. They have pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. They've achieved all the success. They don't have as many felt needs. He says, and so it's really for those people, it's very difficult for them to see their need for God. It takes a dramatic, miraculous work of God's spirit in them for them to see they need the kingdom. Jesus is also going to say, look, you've got to have an all in commitment. Luke chapter 9, verse 60 to 62, Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He says, look, you've got to put your both hands on the plow and you can't be going, oh, but I want to go over here. No, I want to change my mind and go over here. He says, no, you've got to keep fixed to this. He says it a different way, in a more positive way in Matthew six thirty-three. He says, look, everybody worries about this and that and the other thing. He says, the kingdom of God is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, and God will take care of all the rest of parts of your life. He, he's telling us, make, make this reality of who God is, not just a spiritual reality for you. Make the kingdom of God, the central, transcendent, all-encompassing reality that defines your existence. He says, and when that happens, you're going to change. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 These guys give us some warnings about the kingdom of God, about who's not in. He says, don't you realize, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge, that's an important thing there, indulge. Not who struggle with, not who fight with, who stumble and fall once in a while. Those who indulge, who just go, it's just who I am, I don't care. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.21 says it this way, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, or other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, he's not saying people who struggle with these things. He's not saying you have to be perfect. He's saying that you can't be passive. You can't just say, well, you know, dude, sorry, that's just who I am. That's, you know, I just, you just got to accept that Jesus accepts all that about me. And so I'm not going to struggle with them. I'm not going to fight them. I'm just going to indulge in certain things in my life. Uh, this is the water we swim in right now. We live in a post Christianized culture, which will be both bad and good for us here in the West. But we also live in, we're going to cut in with uh, this rugged, ragged individualism that says this, I figure things out for myself. And it's Google spirituality, DIY, do-it-yourself spirituality. He said, look, I, here's what, how it looks. And we have this here at Crosspoint Church today. Those of you, some of you sitting on couches or in offices or listening to this on the way to work, this might be you. It's say, yeah, I like Jesus. I, I believe Jesus died and rose again. I believe all the right things about Jesus. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm good with Jesus. But uh, when it comes to money or ambition or power or sex or, you know, whatever. I I just want to leave that part out. I'm just going to make this for myself. And Jesus says, if you leave that out, guess what, pal? 
you're out. Now, I know this is a challenging message today because everybody wants in our culture a Jesus that just pats us all on the head and says, you're all awesome, you're amazing, it doesn't matter what you do or what you believe, just as long as you sort of believe some general belief things about me. That's called demonic faith. He says, you've got to have more than that. He says, demons believe and tremble about who Jesus is. It's got to be more than that, he says. And look, today, I don't want you to be mad at me. I don't want you to get frustrated with our church and leave us and go uh, somewhere else to a different church or just leave church altogether. But keep in mind today, <laughs> I'm just delivering the mail, man. I'm, I'm the mailman. I didn't write the letter. I'm delivering the mail and I'm fearful and scared of you guys leaving. I don't want our church to have people leave and leave angry and upset with me or, or Jesus. But man, I'm way more fearful of the king because he here's the deal. When Jesus is the king, we don't vote on this. The king decides what's in our best interest because he loves us. And we have to learn to trust the king that even, even if I don't like it, I'm going to recognize that even though I don't get it, doesn't mean that God's got to change. It means that I have to change. So what's this kingdom really like? We've talked about there's a king with the kingdom, what his methodology was to come and get us, trading his throne for the cross and dying and rising again, what the citizens of the kingdom are like. So what's it like when you get inside, when you said yes to Jesus? And that may be you today going, what you're describing there, I want to be born again. I want my life to change. I want Jesus to come in and take over my life. If that's you today, on that connection card that we had you fill out, talk to us about that. Uh, text us to the 77411. It won't be up on the screen, but 77411. Say, hey, I want to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian or getting prayer. Uh, it might be the, it's the best decision you'll ever make to, to renounce citizenship in your own kingdom and join Jesus's kingdom. But here's what it's going to be like when you join that kingdom. What's that kingdom really like? Uh, R.C. Sproul, a famous pastor theologian, says it this way. There's only one condition about this kingdom, one way to describe it. The kingdom has only one king. And guess what, pal? Not you. It's not me. You and I are welcome to enter the throne room as citizens, but we have to surrender our crowns at the door. We're not the king. And here's what's fascinating. Jesus, all over the New Testament, riffs and rants about this kingdom, about what it's like and not like. And I want to give you some things here. And as we do this, this is a little quirky because you're going to go, well, I don't quite get that. It's kind of this paradox and confusing. Guess what? It was back then to Jesus's followers as well. It's, well, let me just give, give you some of the characteristics that come right out of what Jesus riffed and ranted about. Jesus is going to tell us this. It's in this world but not from this world, not of this world. It's in this world, but not from this world, not, uh, not of this world. Jesus says, I've got a bigger agenda than just the kingdoms of this life. I'm not interested in making your business great, making your country great, making your political party great. I said, like, that's not, I got a bigger agenda than that. He's on trial for his life in front of the governor of, of the uh, Judea, Galilee, Samaria area of Rome's empire. His name's Pontius Pilate. John 18, 36 and 37. Jesus is on trial. He's being questioned. And Pilate says, are you a king? Because here's the deal. What they're trying to do is get him framed for treason. Because Jesus talked about being the king. 
talked about his kingdom, so I think, and this is how we get him. Because with Rome, when you're the world superpower, nobody else is king but us. And you call yourself king, we take you out and kill you. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. I saw these kind of stickers all over people's cars. I don't know if people still put them out there. The N-O-T-W, it's all over the place. Some of it's Christian stuff. Some of it's people just kind of like the look and the vibe of it. Some of you might actually have this tattooed on you at some place or a necklace or, or something like that. Not of this world, he says. It's in this world, but it's bigger than this world. It's not from this world or of this world. It's also, Jesus is going to tell us, both visible and invisible. He's going to tell us in several places. He says, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. The kingdom is there. That's a, that's a dramatic sign. He says, when you see these things, you know the kingdom of God is near. So he says, look around for it. You can see some signs of it. But then there's this paradox. Because in Luke 17, 20 and 21, he says it this way. Luke 17, 21 and 21, turn there. He says this. The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Some translations say already within you. He's saying, look, it's, it's this crazy thing. We want this big, huge, God's kingdom to show up. He goes, you know, it shows up all the time. It shows up in visible ways sometimes, in some ways invisible. Where kingdom of God stuff shows up is people jump into the baptism water and they get saved and God God's spirit comes in them and goes, that's where the kingdom of God's going to be seen. It doesn't show up with fireworks and big, dramatic, powerful displays. It's visible and invisible. He says, it's near you. It's right here, right now. It won't always be big, dramatic, and visible. It's, it's, <laughs> it's messy and mysterious. Trying to get our hands around it. We were talking about this with our, our, our team. We get together and brainstorm this and, and people kept asking, well, what about this? And what about that? And I go, it's confusing, isn't it? And the people back then were confused all the time. The disciples said, well, Jesus, are you going to do the kingdom now in Acts chapter 1? Come on, let's go. Do the kingdom now. You died and rose again. Let's do the big kingdom. Jesus goes, no, no, no. I'm not going to do it that way. He, he never quite does it how we think he should do it, how we would do it if we were the king. It's messy and mysterious. I want to encourage you to come back because next week we're going to move from riffs and rants to stories and stuff stories Jesus told and stuff he used to give us a real picture of what the kingdom of God is really like, man, be here next week. It's so exciting. So quirky and interesting and powerful. These simple stories he tells that have powerful, profound meanings. Be here next week. Invite friends to come back next week in person, inside, outside, online, however you're doing it. Be here next week for that. Also write this down. The kingdom is real. And not real right now. Maybe under that you want to write down, it's, it's real, but not fully realized. Theologians, uh, guys that write this about this in books, I'm not for sure whoever coined it originally, but he says the kingdom of God is already and not yet. That there is a, a, a current reality to it, but there's also some things about it that aren't fully realized yet. That that's coming eventually, which means we live in this world with both frustration 
and hope. Frustrated that it's not better. Frustrated because we want things to be better than this. Come on, what's going on here, God? And God goes, yeah, just that's coming. But with the hope going, hey, but we know that at some point, man, it's all going to work out in the end because Jesus is the king. Tim Keller is a guy that I listen to and, and read his stuff as much as I can. He has a great quote. It's a longer quote. Uh, you might need to pause the screen and write this down as we go through it. Here's, man, this is good. The power of Christ's kingly rule is now present among gathered Christians, liberating people from false masters and enslaving idols from the old kingdoms. Among the disciples, the kingdom is a new human order in which power, money, recognition, and success are properly reordered in light of the registry of the kingdom. It's not that these things no longer matter, but that they become transposed by the unleashing of Christ's new creation by service, generosity, and humility. Now catch this. This is so good. This last part here. Jesus's kingship is not like human kingships for it wins influence through suffering service, not coercive power. We enter it not through strength, but through the weakness of repentance and the new birth and becoming like a child. This is what the kingdom of God is really like. So when we say the kingdom of God's here, where do you see it? Well, we can talk about a lot of different ways. But we're going to start a series after Easter through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts makes it abundantly clear in 28 chapters that where you see the kingdom of God in its grandest, best display, messy and mysterious, visible and invisible, here and not here and all, even this world, not of this world, is here, write this down. Local churches are kingdom outposts, not just religious institutions. Jesus did not come here to start another religion. He came here to start a kingdom was going to take over everything. And local churches are now kingdom outposts from which God deploys us as newborn citizens of his kingdom to be his ambassadors. In the book of Corinthians, Paul says it this way. We are Christ's ambassadors as members of a kingdom. And God's making his appeal through us. We are out there compelling people by both our lives and our words to invite people to renounce citizenship in their own kingdom to bow and surrender, become born again, become like little children and join Jesus's kingdom because Jesus is king. And here's the promise God makes for us. This is beautiful. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I remember growing up and in my early days of being a Christian, I would read that verse and think, okay, here's what it's like. We're in this kingdom. And we've joined Jesus's kingdom. So we're inside the kingdom and we're in the big castle with the moat around it. And we're here and we've joined Jesus. So we're safer. We got to keep the evil out. And here we are inside the kingdom of God. And when Satan comes and evil comes and attacks us, man, we're going to stand strong because we're protected by God. And the truth is when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, we've completely flipped this around because We're called to be citizens in a battle 
against, against a territory that's been surrendered to the enemy, against strongholds, against powers and principalities where the enemy now reigns and rules because of evil that's in the world. And we are called to be out there on the attack Rescuing people, not by a coercive power, but by servant leadership, by, by sharing the gospel, by living the gospel on people's lives. He says, when you do that, he says, I'm going to build my church and not even hell will be able to hold it back. And Jesus actually left the planet and said, I'm going to leave you fools in charge of it, empowered by my spirit. He says, not even hell will stop you. We're on the offensive and we're assaulting the gates of hell. And I know it feels weird right now um, because it feels like, is this really working in our world? Jesus said, nothing will stop it. You know, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he died, he was buried, he rose again, was here for another 40 days. And then he ascended back up to heaven. And someday he's coming back in the same way that he left here. He's coming back here on the clouds. But when that happened, there were about, we would guess about 500 people at that point who would call themselves followers of Jesus, followers of the way. They weren't yet called Christians, but for the sake of our discussion, 500 Christians, that's not very many people when you consider nobody else on the planet is Christians. The book of Acts tells the story how the gospel started going here, there, and everywhere. This kingdom, he says, you're not going to be able to hold it back. Do you know that within 325 years, no, in 350 years, uh, they've, uh, the guys that are not even Christians have done research on this in terms of anthropology and how philosophy and historical documents. They're telling us within 350 years that 500 people in this little dot of a little country in, in Jerusalem right there, there's 34 million Christians in 350 years. of the known Roman Empire world are Christians. Not even Rome could stop it. And Rome tried several times to wipe it out. And Jesus would often say, look, it's the persecution, how you respond to persecution, that's going to be the thing that draws people. Because they're not going to get that kind of love, that kind of power, that kind of truth. Here we are today on the other side of the world. Millions of us here on this big hunk of dirt called North America. (laughs) And look what's happened here. Thousands of churches, thousands of people worshiping Jesus on the other side of the planet. Nothing's going to stop what Jesus started. Now, we live in a post-Christian culture right now here in the West. And we'll sometimes, for those of you that read this stuff, I read it sometimes too. It's out there in various uh, Christian websites, kind of bemoaning the fact that we live in post-Christian culture of radical individualism. And we think, oh my gosh, it's the, there's books written about this and, and studies about this from Christian research groups that call it the rise of the nuns. That there's more and more people that used to be Christians that are turning their back on it going, forget it, I want to take this and this, but I'm going to go do this myself. I want nothing to do with Jesus and the church. And we look at it, oh, what's happening here? We're losing. You need to know that what's happening here in the West right now, not even being critiqued by Christians, but by people that wouldn't, would not claim to be Christians are looking at the ra- radical individualism, all this postmodern deconstruction kind of theory that's been put out there. You know what they're telling us? They're going, this isn't working. Now, they're not giving the alternative yet, but they're going, this hyper-individualism where you do you, 
You just trust yourself. Uh, you speak your truth. It's, it's leaving people isolated and lonely. They don't know what to do. Because at the beginning, you do you. You have your truth, man. Freedom! I'm free from all this until you get out there and you wander around and go, I'm free to, to do sex how I want, do money how I want, do power and pleasure how I want. And what happens after a few years of doing that? You're going, why am I so lonely and burned out and frustrated? And why is my family a mess? And why are these addictions a mess? I thought this freedom would be... It's the idea of you don't have a map because you're making up the map as you go and you're making up the map as you go. You end up like I do when I don't use my phone to get anywhere. I end up lost. And here's what happens. Things ebb and flow. Back in the 60s and 70s, I was elementary school, middle school kid. So I wasn't really in touch with all this, but I've looked back at it now and talked to people who were there then. Remember the 60s and 70s, those of you that are my age and even a little older? Remember what was going on then? Big, I mean, massive stuff going on in our culture. The gas wars. Man, we had the sexual revolution throwing off all the cultural norms about sexuality and family, the anti-war movement. It was, it was a nasty, scary time in America. And you know what happened as the tide had ebbed way back and people were rejecting Christianity and Jesus and God and normal culturalized Christianity out in Orange County, California, a bald Baptist pastor named Chuck Smith <laughs> just started talking to people about Jesus. And by the thousands and tens of thousands, people were out there going, we have tried everything this world has to offer. It's not working. And the whole Calvary Chapel movement started because it's the God says, like, the 60s and 70s won't stop me. I remember, gosh, back in the 90s, the whole idea of the Gen X movement. And now it's like the millennials and Gen Z. We look at it and go, oh my gosh, they're all leaving the church and they hate the church. They don't want church. They don't love Jesus. They don't, they don't want any of this stuff. You know what happens with that? It never works because the culture gets lost. And there's a few faithful followers of Jesus who go, no way, dude. Not on my watch. They get angry enough, they get frustrated enough, they get broken hard enough because the Spirit of God does something in them, rises them up in new churches and new movements and new expressions of how to way to do church, the way to do Christianity get started here. Man, God, the gates of hell, the millennials, the Gen Zers, it's not we're not gonna be able to stop this thing. Now, sure, certainly it ebbs and flows. That's how culture and history happen. And the longer when you're on the beach and you're watching the tide go out, it goes out a little bit and then whoosh, the wave comes back in. You know what happens when the tide goes out for a long time? You know what that wave looks like when it comes back in? <laughs> so don't worry about the fact that it feels like the tide's going out right now in Christianity and faith. There's a wave coming. Not even the gates of hell will stop the onslaught of Jesus. And we know this by the book of Revelation. The Revelation is this great book. At some point here in the history of our church, I'll probably take uh, some time and speak on the book of Revelation. But I want to give you the book of Revelation today very, very, very simply. See, we oftentimes, because of books written about Revelation and movies made about Revelation, and I grew up, remember, The Thief in the Night, The Left Behind series, all those. And I'm not here to disparage any of that, but I'm just telling you, I think we've missed it on that because we read those and we go, oh my God, what's going to happen there? And we read about Again, the locusts coming up out of the pit and those are the Apache helicopters and they're going to come down and rain down fire us. And I mean, is the coronavirus, is that part of one of the, the 10th plague? Is, oh, maybe the vaccine is the mark of the beast. 
That, we, we say those kind of things, it, especially we get in this kind of time right now and we get all panicked and freaked out. And it's just like, you know, it's going to be take a piece of bread. We'll buy a bag of gold. There's going to be famine and pestilence. And we go, we get panicked and freaked out reading Revelation and we miss the whole point. The whole point of Revelation is to make these three points and write them down today. Here it is. When Revelation starts, it says that there's, they, they, they've got John, God, John, John, John wants to know what's going to happen in this world. And it says, look right there. And it says, so I saw the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he said, it wasn't a lion. It was a lamb looking like it had been slain. See, here's what you need to know about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. Jesus has won by what he did on the cross, rising from the dead. He is king and Lord. Jesus has won. And the most of the rest of the book of Revelation, until you get to like chapters 20 and 21, 22, all that in there is, a, is glimpses at human history at various times and places to tell us, look, all hell might be breaking loose on the earth. When Revelation is being written, persecution is breaking out like all hell is breaking loose. And it feels like, man, the way of Jesus is going to be squashed and snuffed out because we have no Pope, we have no powerful religious institutions. There's no legal defense fund to come after us and help us and defend us and protect us. We are weak and powerless. Is this thing going to work? And then you get a vision of, of revelation, get a vision of heaven, and there's Jesus on the throne, and he's still on the throne in the midst of all hell breaking loose. So when all hell's breaking loose in your life, when all hell's breaking loose through coronavirus, through racial uh, uh, upheaval and unrest, when all uh, hell's breaking loose with elections, with upheaval things in the world, keep in mind, Jesus has won. Jesus is winning. And the last part of the book is Jesus will win. That at some point, this will all become fully realized in there. So we don't need to freak out and worry. The nature of God's kingdom, it's secure, it's guaranteed. Jesus is king. It's God's reign through God's people, us, his citizens, over God's place. He did this by the cross, trading his throne for a cross and tells us, hey, come in. I want everybody to come in, renounce citizenship in, in your kingdom and come join mine. And he unleashes us as his ambassadors to speak the gospel and live the gospel in such a way that we, we implore people to come and become part of that kingdom. And it's a messy, quirky, crazy reality. Come back next weekend as we talk about some stories and some examples, some stuff Jesus uses to talk about that. Today, we're going to celebrate. Today, right now, I'm going to pray, and then our band's going to lead us, and we're going to sing about our king and to our king, and sing it out proud, sing it out loud, because Jesus has won, is winning, and will win. Jesus, today, whatever, whenever, in whatever state our minds and hearts are in right now, inspire and encourage us. God, just what's in my heart and mind right now is that sometimes the reason we get a lot of sorts is because we've jumped up on that throne and tried to share the throne with you. Some of us need to repent of that again and get off the throne and get on our knees. And so we come to you now, Jesus, today to get off that throne, to get on our knees and worship you.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.